0: Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And i got to tell you something, people. Uh, i got to tell you this. Every day, something reminds me of Cooper Talk, whether it's something like driving. Let's say I'm driving the other day and I hear the Flock of Seagulls, and I think of when uh, Mike Score, the singer, was on a few weeks ago. Or let's say I'm watching TV and I see a guy in a commercial. Or if I sit there and I watch, I'm a big Seinfeld watcher, so you know I'll see an episode Steve Scrovan wrote or Peter Melman wrote. And this happened with my guest the other night. I was sitting there, and I'm flipping around the, the channels, and one of my favorite movies comes on, and it's Goodfellas. And no lie, the scene I put on, my guest is on, where he's getting hung over, uh, I guess, in, in the zoo, and I, it just, it cracks me up, because I'm like, oh my God, there's Peter. My guest is Peter Onorati. How you doing, Peter.
1: I'm doing good. Can you hear me? I'm on
0: my cell phone. <laughs> yeah, you sound good. You sound good. Um, so yeah, right, it, it's funny. I put that on, and it's always funny because that, that's early in your career, and uh, and since then you've been working constantly. But uh, so so yep. so no no. My you were on two and a half years ago. So my lot. I have a lot of new listeners. Tell them how you actually right. got into acting because I know you were you were a, a wide receiver uh, a. Good very good college football wide receiver who was supposed to go to the World Football League I believe how did that all happen? what well, happened with, what happened with that? Well um,
1: I was in, I was in a small division three school I, am, am I doing something wrong I'm hearing an echo.
0: <laughs> you shouldn't you, you sound wonderful.
1: Oh, okay great so you know I was in a small school uh, played football small division three school and uh, had a tryout agreement in the World Football League made it to the last cut. And then had to figure out what else to do with my life. <laughs> so, uh, I went back to New Jersey and, uh, I, um, I went out, I, I went uh, to Fairleigh Dickinson University for my MBA. And, uh, at the time I was working at Ford Motor Company in the international division. Uh, my territory was Puerto Rico and the Caribbean, but Ford was so cheap I only got one trip down there in five years. <laughs> and, um <laughs> So I ended up doing my master's thesis on uh, one of McCall's magazines called Working Mother, because my girlfriend was the art director of the magazine. And then in 1980, after four and a half or five years with Ford Motor Company, uh, because the automobile business was so bad, they laid me off. And they paid for the last two-thirds of my MBA. And I said, okay, guys, uh, you know, you want to pay for my schooling and, you know, lay me off? That's up to you. So um, I presented my thesis project to uh, McCall's magazines and uh, they hired me as a director of marketing and research for five of their magazines so I ended up working in New York City for five years and during that time I was uh, studying uh, or having fun just with a group of people doing improvisational comedy as a hobby uh, only because you know it was it was kind of fun hanging out in New York and all the crappy spots and you know, on Friday nights and and doing these improv shows, and I met the woman who was directing the group, and, uh, flash forward, she's now my wife, but at the time, um, I had some of my research published in Advertising Age, and, uh, my boss was getting a little fidgety about not paying me what I was worth, so she made my life miserable, and, uh, my then-girlfriend, now-wife, said, I think you could be an actor. So I said, really? So I can starve and have four jobs like you?
0: Nice.
1: And so uh, <laughs> so I took the ice pack off my eye, and uh, I walked in and quit. And uh, within two years, uh, I was on my first TV series, not my own, but the last season of Kate and, and um uh, And that's what I did. I did commercials, and I did a little bit of television, and then here's this is this is sort of a great story that i 'll you know i 'll truncate for you, but I was on the last episode of Kate and Alley. My wife and I had already moved to l a and she was pregnant with my son and it was a friday and I was it was actually uh, twenty eight years ago I was flying out of j f k um, to get to my son 's birth. he was due to be born uh, that Monday. And I had a callback for Scorsese for Goodfellas in Rockefeller Center, so uh, I, <laughs> I ended up walking in, and I don't know if I, I don't know if I told you this story, but uh, at that time for the small parts in Goodfellas like I had, the casting director gave everybody the same thing to read, and if they liked you, they just found, you know, a, a, a role for you. But but that was also the time uh, that Scorsese started hiring real mob guys. To be in his movies or cops that had chased mob guys so uh, I walk in and there's these guys with silver sweatsuits and patent leather sneakers and smoking cigars and they look at me and they go hey what are you reading for <laughs> and, <laughs> and I go I got the signs for sunny Bamboo <laughs> and they go you'll know him I go no I don't know him he goes I know him. You don't look nothing like them I said, "Well, that's what they gave me." <laughs> so he goes, "Well, God bless you, kid. Do good." <laughs> you know. So uh, and and that was my first big movie. And um, like I said, we were already moved out here. And uh, you know, so that's the whole deal of how I got started. And uh, when I came out here, Botchko found me and, and put me into. Two series back to back one was as big as flop one was a uh, uh, critically acclaimed um, but didn't get the numbers but that was right on the cusp of cable taking over so everything you know I mean the numbers that we would have had would have killed today <laughs> you, you know so uh, and, and so you know flash forward here I am um, living in Sherman Oaks and uh, with my wife and my three sons and uh, my wife is a writer producer who's been on a lot of A lot of big shows. Uh, She uh, actually just came back from the memorial for Bill Paxton because she was one of the writer-producers on uh, Big Love, and that's where she got to know Bill. Uh, So she's been on a lot of big shows. So between the two of us, we were able to uh, keep our house and put our kids through college.
0: Now, do you ever think what would have happened if you... And, and, you know, you think about it. Do you ever think what would have happened if you didn't get cut from football? I mean, did those things ever go through your mind because... You know, it's so weird because the league you were in, I mean, it stayed for a little bit, but did you ever think that, you know, yeah. you could have sat there, you know, you could have been a Wayne Krebet or you could have been, you know, you know—you could have been a Freddie right. Belitnikoff or do you ever sit there and think and go, you know, at the time you were probably just devastated because you were a good player. What college did you go to again? Did you go to, no, you didn't go to Ithaca, did you? No.
1: No, I went to Lycoming College. Lycoming No, no. Yeah. Yeah,
0: What do you. you, I mean, when when it happened, it must have been devastating, but do you ever look back and go, holy crap, man, Um, in retrospect, I'm glad this happened?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, every day, you know. But you're right. I was was devastated then. I really didn't know what to do. Uh, You know, I was fumbling around at at Ford at a job I didn't like. And uh, so I decided, you know, uh, to get my MBA. But. You know, I thought of that just recently uh, about what would have happened if I made the team, because that particular year when I got cut, the league folded soon after that. But my, my goal was to make the team because I, I was going to play against my, my hero in professional football, who was Jim Kick, because that year, Jim Kick and Larry Zonka and Paul Warfield from Dolphin Dynasty crossed over oh, to yeah. the World Football League.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember that.
1: So, yeah, so I was, I was hoping to stay in the game long enough to play against my hero. The reason I bring that up is because I just got a word from one of, of because Jimmy went to my high school, Jim Kick went to my high school in Boonton, New Jersey, and uh, that's why he was, he was my hero. I tried to follow in his footsteps. Um, but I just got word from a friend of mine who was a classmate of Jimmy's that uh, he's he's in a facility now, um, which I think what what they may believe is the beginnings of CTE, whatever. Uh, and I've got a bunch of people sending him, uh, you know, cards and everything. Uh, but I look at this guy and and you know he and Zonk and Warfare were, were the best that there was at the time, and. Uh, and, and now he's he's paying for it in a certain way, you know? And so, so that way I think about it. Um, the other way is that is that I guess I, I never thought about it this way at the time, but I, I mean, I guess it was my destiny, you know, to, to do something like this. Uh, because I loved my job at, at McCall's. Uh, I had a share in the house in the Hamptons and all that yuppie crap that people used to do. Right. And I liked it, you know. I, I wanted to be in advertising. I wanted to be Darren Stevens, you know, with the wife who was a beautiful witch. You know, I wanted to be an ad guy, you know. That was that was my thing. That's what, always what I went to school for, you know. Uh, but uh, But it all turned out this way, you know. But I'll tell you what. It was that first 12 years of my life in the business world that allowed me to become an actor, because, you know, I just spoke at, uh, at commencement, uh, did a commencement speech at the New York Film Academy out here in Los Angeles. And I was telling these kids that my, my path and my journey is vastly different from what they're going to have. They, they're studying acting. I never studied acting. I kind of studied life for 12 years first. And, and I ended up playing those very people that I lived with at parity, that I was. I had the same goals and dreams and everything else for, for 12 years, you know. So I didn't have to research anybody. That was me at one point in my life, you know. And the other thing that really, really made it, or it I won't say made it easy because it's never easy, but insulated me from from financial harm or anything else was I had a savings by then. I took money and I stuck it in an account, a separate account, and I said, okay, if this runs out and I'm not an actor, then I'm not an actor, you know? Right. And I I would go back to, to advertising. And and so every time I walked in to an audition, I wanted it as bad as everybody else, but I didn't need it, you know?
0: Now, it's funny, you had mentioned the Bochco pop uh, rock, I'm guessing. But Absolutely, now. Yeah. Now, the way the industry changed, and with the advent of shows like Glee, and even now with La La Land, which was uh, nominated for the Oscar, right. do you think, because at the time, because Bochco is such a strong writer, so, you know, and he's yeah. going to get the okay, and he was probably thinking outside the box, because like anything, we want to do that, and at the time, everyone's like, what the hell is this? And listeners, if you don't know, Cop Rock was a musical about cops. Do you think, how do you think that would come across if it had come out, if there had never been a cop rock, and all of a sudden, five years ago, or eight years ago, a cop rock came out? How do you think that would have been taken in by the viewing public? Do you think they would have warmed over to it?
1: Uh, you know what? I, I, I could never speculate about that, but I'll give you I'll give you uh, an instance. Uh, I think it was three or four years ago, uh, my manager's got a, a care sheet from a newspaper someplace in the Midwest uh, at their offices and forwarded it to me, and I unfolded this thing. It was a full page, and it had a picture of Jane, and then underneath Jane was a picture of Larry Joshua and myself, and the title said, Before There Was Glee, There Was Cop Rock, okay? So, you know, I, I, I would assume from that, you know, that audience might have been a little bit more... Uh, open to the experiment uh you know uh, 20 years later you know what i mean um i just i just remember and bl- by the way at the time the writing you know, top rock was as good or better than nypd blue and there were times when the network came to stephen and asked him to cut out uh, a number of songs you know instead of five songs which by the way even today is an amazing feat in production we had an eight-day shoot we did all the drama and five songs taped live um, in that eight days. And, and, you know, no one can do even a, an eight-day drama right now. They extend over. But we got all that stuff done. But they asked Stephen, can you cut it down to two songs, you know? And he said, no, this is the way I'm doing it. And we had two Academy Award winners on our, our, our songwriting staff. We had Donnie Markowitz, who I'm still very good friends with. Donnie wrote Time of My Life for Dirty Dancing. And then we had Amanda McBroom, who wrote the title song for The Rose.
0: So that's some, that's so that's some heavy hitters. So, what's that? Can you hear me?
1: I go, okay, here we go, yeah. there you
0: go. Okay, no that, I mean, so that's some heavy hitters involved in this show.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, Carl Anderson was on the show. He played Judas in the movie Jesus Christ Superstar. Vondy uh, Curtis Hall, who became a great director, you know, was in it. In the pilot, um, Ernie, Ernie Hudson played the role that Bondi Curtis Hall took over. Sheryl um, uh, uh, Crow sang background oh, wow. in cop rock. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, it was a, an amazing group of people, and the time in my career where, that I will never be you know, uh, sad about. I always wanted to get an Emmy, an Emmy so I could stand up there and say, hey, thanks a lot. Uh, Cop Rock was the best thing I ever did. <laughs> you <laughs> do, know?
0: do you think it's the best thing you've ever done? Because you've done so many shows. You've worked with Bochco so much. You've done so many great things. Do you think that that is the best series that you, that you were part of? It's
1: the best thing I've ever done. It's not the best series, obviously, because it was... A a flop, but for me, it challenged me beyond beyond even my acting talents. I'm not a trained singer, and I had to do four numbers in that show, and I was around people who were really good singers. So it made me stretch, and for that reason alone, it's the best thing I've ever done because it pushed me beyond my perceived limits. Um, I would never, you know, I would never rate it in terms of other shows and stuff. I mean, I, I loved. I loved all the shows I was blessed enough to do, but in terms of, you know, like I said, pushing myself beyond my perceived limits and, and, and showing myself things that I didn't know I had, nothing compares to cop Rock.
0: Now, the last time you were on my show, I think it was two and a half years ago, it was when um, right. you were about to start with Murder in her First, which is another, well, Botchko project, but it's, I believe his son's very involved with that, right? Right. Now...
1: Uh, Who's, in, who's involved in it, did
0: you say? Isn't Bochco's son involved in it? Oh, yeah,
1: Jesse is director. Uh, he, he's an executive producer director on that, yeah.
0: Now, you've worked with Bochco a lot, and he seems to bring you know people he's worked with back a lot. What do you think, as an actor, what do you think makes Bochco so prolific? Because I love Murder in the First, and the season you were on was excellent, and you had... I didn't even know who that yes. blonde kid was. And it turns out he's like this Harry Potter kid with millions of followers. Yes. And, and yes. I had no idea because I don't watch the Harry Potter that much. And he was excellent. Yes. And yes. all the actors were excellent. What do you yes. think make Bosco so good? And the cast. Is he involved with the casting? Because that whole cast, you guys were all great. Even Steve, Steven Weber playing just a, not a good person. I mean, what do you right. think makes Bosco so great?
1: Well... You know, I, I think that, first of all, that was Tom Felton who played Draco Malfoy um, uh, in the uh, that you were referring to, and he's he's a great actor and he's he's a great kid. I, I think if I think what you what Stephen's brilliance is that he he has a vision for his work, but he has his ego in check in in that. When he sees an actor's strength, he'll write to it. You know, he may change a guy's arc uh, in a season if he sees something else in this guy or this woman that that he can exploit. And and, uh, and, and he, he's wide open to that kind of stuff. Even though a lot of people say, "Oh, you don't change a Bosco line here and there," and that's kind of true because you know he writes he writes with a rhythm like anybody else does. But when you're there for a little while he really knows and, and everybody that he hires great writers, like the guy who created civil wars with me, uh, Billy Finkelstein has been on for, for a long time. David Milch wrote a couple episodes of civil wars. These are all guys that have an open ear and an open mind. Um, yeah, they have a plan for the show, but their, their egos are in check enough to see if there's a, if there's a strength that they're not mining that this actor has, they'll write to it, you know? And, uh, and, 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 you know, if you should read Bochco's book, it's pretty interesting to see how he came up through the, uh, through the ranks. I mean, over at MTM and, you know, in Universal and, and doing things like Columbo. And oh, he's, You know, he's been around for so long and, and, and he's had so many great mentors. And it seems like, the only the ones that I've met that are in the book, but it seems like all of them um, were the same kind of people, people who were open to an honest and even exchange of ideas in going forward, you know? I mean, uh, you know, he'll come up against certain (laughs) personalities that have done shows for him in the past where he bets heads and that guy's off after the first year, you know? Uh, But uh, mostly, uh, he's very open, you know?
0: Now, now when you went into Murder in the First, because as you said, it must have been exciting for you because you're working with him again. You're working with a great cast. But did did the whole cast know that Murder in the First was only going to be... Like, your season would only be that one year of the guest stars, because, you know, then they bring in, they have a different storyline the next season. Did you know that? And does something like that, does it take away from your excitement to work with an old friend?
1: Um, Well, we all did know, except, of course, for Tate Diggs and and, uh, Kathleen, who go on, and I think Raphael Sparge goes on, and a few other people, they there in the you know the framework of the of the San Francisco uh, administration and police department Um, but yes I did know I mean um, when the contract came up it was it was you know a fractional series regular one season so I knew that right away and you know what Uh, yeah I was disappointed but hell no would I ever turn it down a chance to work with Steven and it's kind of funny too because yeah, Stephen's one of the most powerful people and and, and well-thought-of people in, in this town when it comes to television. And when I saw the breakdown come out for this role that I played, I emailed him, because we've been having lunch once or twice a year over the last few years, and I said, uh, Hey, uh, should I get my people to, to send me in for this role? And he emailed me back, and he goes, I wrote this for you. He says, But I, I can't give out a role the way I used to, you're gonna to have to do the dance and the this and that, and I said, hey, I, I'm an actor, you know, I'll audition, I'll do whatever, but chance to work with you, you know, I'll do whatever. Um, and so we did it, you know, and uh, it was great. And, and going a little time in San Francisco and I got to see my son who was at UC Santa Cruz at the time. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was, I knew that I wasn't gonna go beyond a one season. And actually, if it's a big splash show like something like that with a Botchko brand on it it's not such a bad thing because you you're on the boards people see you you get a chance to do really good work and you know then you market yourself for the next season you know
0: now you said you said cuz he is very you know very known and power player in this business he said he just can't get you in in these days how has the business changed that way cuz you have i mean you know you look at your resume you've constantly worked and you're not someone who's worked on little projects you've been a series star you've been a series regular you've worked on like i mean you look down your list and it's like it's it's amazing because you know my girlfriend's like a tv junkie and it's like a bunch of shows she watches and i'll she'll say oh you know oh i saw peter on a rerun of this or that but how do you think the business has changed where a Botchko can't just say hey man i'm steven Botchko i'm a big swinging dick in this town it's my show. Yeah. I want Peter on, on yeah. the radio. How has that, why has that changed? Is it because there's no backbone? I mean, what has made it different?
1: Well, I think it's because there's so few entities in control of things now. Even though there's a bunch of outlets, there's, you know, six companies that own the world of media, you know, and uh, so money's tight and, and money talks, you know, bullshit walks and uh, and and that, you know, that's the case and and geez uh you know you must know from interviewing other actors that another way the business has changed is that you know our fees our have, been, have been cut to a quarter of what we used to get you know and uh, uh contracts are so odd anymore and, and uh um i just i just got a contract for a new pilot i'm i'm, I'm in a new pilot this is my first Series contract role in you know a long time except for you know the Botchko thing, which uh, but it's it's you know we all have to we don't have uh, I want to say power it's not power but there's no quote system anymore you know someone like me or you've you've interviewed Kathleen Wilhoy, who's a good friend you know uh, a lot of people who have a resume. We used to have what was called a quote system, you know, so that, you know, if they bring us in, we'll, we audition, we'll do whatever we need to do to get the role, but we have a quote. There's no such thing anymore, you know. They can pay us whatever they want uh, and hire whoever they want uh, because there just there are so many jobs out there and so many people who call themselves actors that uh, they'll fill the role some, some other way, um, kind of feel like they found us out you know (laughs) (laughs) you know Uh, but so so you have to just make you know I mean I've turned down a couple roles there was a a role recently where the guy was like uh, I mean it was a guest star they were gonna you know they were gonna pay me double scale Uh, the guy was uh, he was ended up finding out that he's like a a child porn or a child molester or something I said you know what (laughs) you know I'm Unless this is a big ass movie, you know, or anything like that, uh, where the role is, a, you know, a, a, a something that's really important, I'm not going to market myself in that way. I can't, I, I can't do that, you know. And I mean, you got a guy like Stanley Tucci who did who did that terrible role in Lovely Bones. I mean, but it was an acting role, and he, and and it didn't hurt him at all. But to just to keep farming yourself out for these roles, which kind of turn you off anyway in in terms of your own personal... Not kind of, but they do turn you off in terms of your own personal ethics. That's always been the first thing I've gone to. Like I said, if it was a Spielberg movie and it was offered to me, I'd have to think twice about that. I really would, because, you know, I mean, it would give me a chance to do other great things in my career, you know?
0: it's So now to the pilot. Uh, tell us about the pilot. I know I, I saw your post on Facebook and uh, tell the people about a pilot and yeah. now it's it's a remake of a show that's been remade twice yeah. i believe and i i love the steve Forrest man i love that version when i was a kid and it's probably between yeah. that and barney miller two of the best theme songs ever on tv <laughs> that's right yeah no
1: yeah i think yeah the swat theme song still you know well yeah it is swat and it is um I think they're calling it a remake of that seventies version, but there was a 2003, um, uh, with Colin Farrell, there was a movie as well. And, um, I believe the person who was involved with the movie was involved with this. Um, so, you know, uh, it, you know, it's got a, a decent, and it's got Sean Ryan on it and, and Aaron, uh, uh Thomas, both guys were, uh, uh, created the shield, uh, and, and did the shield, so uh, the, it has a great pedigree. And, uh, you know, when you do a pilot, you wait till May or early June and whether, to see whether or not they pick it up to know if you have a job in the fall. And But this thing has a, what I consider to be a fairly decent pedigree uh, and, and a good shot. And as uh, Shamar Moore is in the lead, one uh, of the handsomest guys on television, um, you know, and I, I'm, just, I'm just happy to be in the mix, I, I really like this character, because he's uh, hes not necessarily one of the nice guys, you know, which is always fun, you know. And it's fun when you can do it as a series regular. It's not, you know, like I said, if you get a one-off where you play a great prick, then, uh, well, it's great, but it's one paycheck and bye-bye. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know?
0: so how did this come uh, about did you audition or did they call you and then what is the process because i know like you know it's so funny you see posts on facebook with uh past guests and there's a lot of you guys that you know constantly work and you see each other in the audition room and you know you've you've lasted you've all had careers i'm sure when you started there was tons of you in the room and then now there's you know i'm sure you run into different people like poindexter or spencer You probably all different people but how does it work like when you go into the room do you sit there and do the people know your body of work a lot of times or is it younger casting directors because it would i would think that if someone if i was a casting director and you walked in and you've been in all this stuff i'd be like well we got to put him in i mean how does that work
1: well, you know what—you you don't know what's in their head—but they do. There are times when you uh, when you walk in, and it's somebody who knows your work, and they're they're very deferential and really nice about it. And uh, um, you know, and, and in the end, the casting person collects data, you know, and makes the best suggestions they can make. They don't have as much power, you know, as the people writing and stuff. But this particular—I mean, every audition you walk into, and and uh, you prepare your stuff, and. There guys who sit there and love to talk to you, and I'm not that kind of guy, and I, and, and I try not to be rude, but, I mean, I find a place to myself, and I stand there and I concentrate. When I'm done with my audition, I'll talk about kids, I'll talk about, you know, hamburgers, anything you want to talk about, but don't mess with me until I'm done with my audition, because uh, my brain's too small to split focus like that, you know? And um, and so you get in there, and, you know, and, and the casting agent will say, some of them will say, thanks for coming in, I'm going, what are you kidding me? you know, of course I'd come in, you know, and, uh, th- this particular one turned out to be really, uh, the casting people, uh, on my side, because I auditioned for another role, not the one that I got, and then, um, I didn't hear anything on it, so I took off, uh, for, uh, back east, and I found had a stroke, uh, and, uh, I, I often go back to help with his care, and, uh, I got a call at 11 o'clock at night back in New Jersey. Hey, um, you have to get these, uh, these sides printed up. Um, they want you to come back in for this other role. And I go, I'm in New Jersey. <laughs> you know, if you want me to go into the agent's office in New York and tape it and send it, I'll do that. And he went, oh, my God, no, oh, no, 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 let's see. So then it was the casting people who stood up uh, for me, uh, along with my agents and managers, who said, uh, do you think you can cast it? Off the, the audition tape that he did for the other character, and his reel, which one of which is on on my website, you know, and they said, "Well, we're going to try because you know because the producers really want him." So it turned out that that's the way I got this role. Was well, I went in for another one? That doesn't happen very often, you know. But it, we're talking about casting people, and uh, uh Sharon Violi and Sherry Thomas cast this and. They were in my court, man, they, they, they did the best they could do to help uh, the producers cast me uh, while I was in New York, waiting here, you know?
0: Now, you get the role, and now when does it start shooting?
1: Mm-hmm. I, I start shooting this week, they're shooting today, I think is the first, uh, the first day of shooting. My first day is this Friday, then I'm off for a couple of days, then I come in uh, for three or four more days, and it's over like a three week period. Then they'll get done, and they'll cut it up and fancy it up, and send it to the network. And the network will make their decision. It's really funny. The network the network of, of pickups usually come out uh, right around my birthday in May. So I'm either I either get a birthday present or I go home drink. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> now is it a um is it a certain network is going to, or are they're going to pitch it to a bunch of different networks? No,
1: this is CBS, Okay, it's, it's CBS, um, yeah, and, um, so, but Sony is, I think Sony is backing the pilot, uh, I don't know, filming at Universal, I just, you know, I got into it so late and so quickly, I flew back, they, when they gave me the job, I flew back that night from, uh, from JFK, so that I could make a, a reading of the script for the network the next day. I mean, I left all my clothes in New Jersey, <laughs> I was in New York City visiting my cousin, and uh, and I said, well, okay, I'll fly home from here, you know. And uh, so I called my brother and I said, hey, could you send me my brush and comb and my shaver?
0: How did you leave your? You told me earlier. How did you leave your uh, laptop in the airport?
1: Well, you know, I'm an anal retentive Italian Catholic from New Jersey. So is my gr- travel, so, so is
0: my girlfriend.
1: <laughs> okay, so you know, when we travel, we make sure everything is buttoned up, right in the right place. I have a backpack where I keep my laptop. I have this, and, you know, if I have I'm TSA pre-scan, uh, you know, if I'm not, I put my belt in my backpack. I get everything lined up because I hate, I hate traveling until I get seated on the plane, you know. And uh, so I was in New York City with an overnight bag that had my uh, my laptop in it. And visiting my cousin and, and a friend of mine had a, a documentary in the New York Film Festival that I was to tra- to support. I never got to see a documentary. I packed all my crap in in that overnight bag and just left with that. So when I took my laptop out of the overnight bag and there was no TSA pre-screen, which I usually have on my normal ticket, uh, I packed it all in the bins and I packed my clothes and my belt and my jacket. I put everything on and I walked away and uh, never took my laptop back because it was buried two bins below what was on top, you know, and. Uh, and thank God, man, I called
0: TSA, and uh, they found it, and they're sending it back. Well, at least you're getting it back. So, with the new pilot, yeah. I mean, with the new pilot, and you, as I said, you've worked, constantly worked for years, and you've been involved in TV shows, shows that have been hits, shows that have not. With, do you, yeah. Can you get your excitement up? Because, the, basically, you know, you, it's with CBS. You have Shamar Moore, who is, as you yeah. said, a handsome man who was coming off Criminal Minds. Sean Ryan, who's been on yeah. the show, my show, you know, created a shield and then did a very good yeah. show on a, uh, Amazon called Mad Dogs. Um, when you have right. when you have that kind of team, it's sort of like in baseball. You know, if you sat there and you put, you know, Jeter yeah. with a great second baseman yeah. and a great first baseman. Do you ever sit there and you can't get cocky? But has there ever been a situation where you've had an all star lineup like that involved in a project and the show didn't go?
1: Uh, yes. I've had, I, I, you know, I was in a, a pilot with, um, with Lee Schreiber and I were the two stars of this pilot. Uh, Stuart Wilson was in it. Um, Bruce Davidson was in it. Lindsay Frost was in it. It was an amazing cast. And the show was written by, uh, Michael Chernichen, who ran Law and Order for years and actually wrote the first, uh, the first, uh, um, a cable series, which was Bull on uh, Showtime or something, and uh, so, I mean, it was it was a huge lineup, and uh, and it had Liam Shriver in it, man, and this was before he did any of these big movies, but, I, you know, was an up-and-comer, and, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I think I was, I went to Lake Tahoe uh, the weekend of my birthday to go skiing, and my wife came, and she had a pilot that she had done with Tim Curry, and, uh, and, and a few other people, and uh, both of us got dropped <laughs> while we were in Lake oh. so We had to fly home early and look
0: for other jobs. You know, that's yeah, it's so crazy because you know I hear that stories all the time. You see a series, and you are like, wow, it's got so many good people connected. And like with this yeah. one, SWAT is you know, our, as you older people, we remembered you know with yeah. Steve Forrest and Robert yeah. Yorick, and then and then I yeah. think and then the, you said the movie with Colin Farrell. So hopefully it will work now the other the other show you're involved with is uh which has become like the darling of tv right now i mean it's one of those shows it's this is us it's one of those shows that you see the uh the facebook spoiler like people are putting please 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 don't tell me what happened you know don't tell me people on the east coast don't be dicks but how did that role come about and 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 did you, you know, when you came aboard, did you know, was it already a hit, or how far in did you come into it?
1: Um, I I did my first, I filmed my first episode last or early December, last November or early December. Um, I walked in like, like every other actor in the room, and I auditioned for the job. It happened that that particular episode was being directed by Tim Busfield, who is now married to one of my closest and dearest friends, that's Melissa Gilbert. And, um, and it also happens that one of the executive producers of This Is Us is Ken Owen. So the, you know, the, the tone of, of, of this piece is a lot like, uh, you know, 30-something, and, and has that winning sort of, uh, of ambiance around it, you know? And so, um, I ended up getting the role as as Milo's father, and uh uh you know didn't it was it's just a regular it's like a little guest star thing you know and uh and then the show just started to slip people it was right bef i filmed it right before they went on their winter hiatus, and everybody was waiting for it to come back in uh, january, which is when my first episode aired. And all of a sudden, in that time, everybody was all over uh, social media, like this show, this show, this show, you gotta see this show. And it, you know, it blew up. And by the time I was on the last episode that aired uh, March 14th, I think I was back in New Jersey, um, the show has eclipsed uh, a, a Big Bang Theory as the top show on television, you know? And uh, and it's a great group of people, it's, they're, they're wonderful. Ken Olin, uh actually directed the last episode and uh before I left um I just I just had to tell him this one story because we were talking before about what you know people do in your early career like what Steven does and stuff and 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 how it lingers with you or how people hire you know the same people but this was an instance that 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 set the tone for a particular part of my career um I think it was 1990 I'm not sure but um, I, I walked up to Ken and I said, you know, you did something for me 27 years ago or so that I will never forget and I vowed to do for anybody else in my career. He goes, oh my God, what was that? I said, well, um, at the Emmys, I, like I said, I know it was 90 or uh, 91. I said, you guys in 30-something kicked ass. You won every friggin' Emmy there was to, to win, and... My wife was also nominated uh, for an Emmy that year because she was on the original writing staff of In Living Color, right? Okay. So so we were at the Emmys, and uh, we, were in, we were at the dinner after, and the, the cast of 30-something comes walking into the dinner, and everybody stands up and starts clapping. And I, of course, because you know I was a nobody, I was closest to the door, so I didn't even get to stand up. And Ken <laughs> came over and put his hands on my shoulder and leaned down and whispered in my ear and he goes, Man, your work in Cop Rock was phenomenal. But cop Rock wasn't even out, but because Ken was an old Botchko boy, Botchko screened it for him ahead of time, you know? And I told him, I said, Ken, you don't know what that did for me to be recognized by one of you guys, you know, and in your moment, you know, it it just made me it, it made me set that goal for myself that if I ever get that kind of notoriety, right, I will do exactly that for whoever I can do it for, you know? And um, and, and that's kind of really the tone of 30-something. It, it's that, that that deep, you know, familial mistakes and love and everything else. And, and, and I think what's greatest about it is this, and I wish I had a psychology major instead of a business major, especially, especially this time in my life, dealing with my kids and everything else. But... We all think that age equals wisdom. We all agree that age equals wisdom. But most of us think that when we get a certain age, the wisdom comes to us. We don't realize that it's all accumulated from those lessons we learned at 17, 23, 32, 45, whatever it is. And that's what This Is Us does. It does, through these flashbacks and stuff, it gives you an insight into the lessons or the, the, at the time of the infraction and then it bumps forward to show you the final product of that wisdom, for better or for worse you know, but but really it makes that psychological bridge for you to, to let you know how this person has handled that one uh, that one moment in his past you know
0: yeah it makes sense, and now, now with This Is Us and you know, because you've been on tons of sets what is it like working on a set where they've already been picked up for the next two seasons. It's not like, you know, I know actors always say when you're on a show that, you know, and you read the trades and it might be on the fence, yeah. you know, if people start getting uptight yeah. like crap, you know, yeah. I got to find a job or some yeah. people start calling it in. What's it like being yeah. on a on a, a set where they basically know, hey, you know what? We got, we got two years where are you know we're signed. I mean, true. If the if the ratings slip, right. you're going to get canceled, but you're still getting paid. What's it like being on a set well, like that? Is it just a lot looser, or is it just more pressure because it means because you have those two years, you have to make sure right. you're churning out killer stuff.
1: Well, here's, here's uh, this is us is the only one that I've been on where that has happened, and it happened in between the two episodes that I shot, the last one and then the first one that I had done. And the only thing that I noticed, the only thing that I noticed, was a little bit more deference to the lead actors from the crew, the directors, the producers, and everybody, because they are the brand now, you know. And it wasn't a negative thing. It wasn't like the actors were making, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, stomping their feet or doing anything. It was nothing like that. It was a sense that they had to take care of their product now, you know, and make sure. That their lives, you know, went as easy as possible because we've got two more years to put this product out.
0: Now, now you're playing a father on that and you've always played different characters. You know, you've played tough guys, you've played, you know, Murder in the First, you were a security guy, but you didn't really see a fatherly side. How do you go into a role playing a yeah. father when you are a father of, I believe, three of three sons? Do you do you bring yeah. any of your fatherly wisdom into it, or how do you prepare for a role for like like that when you're a father? When it's actually you know how to be a father already. I know you're an actor, but you know what goes into being a father. Does that make it easier for you? Um, you know, it doesn't
1: make it easier to to do the acting job, but it makes it easier to do the work on the script before you get in there. Because as I said before, with my twelve years of experience in the business world i have experience in doing this now and there are things that i can bring from my life experience as a father to this role now the next question is whether or not the director and the lead actor who's most important uh likes what i'm doing you know if they don't like it and it doesn't fit their vision then i have to find something else but yeah it, it's it's easier to come up with things uh but it's not necessarily easier to execute, you know, because you always want to be in the moment. You always want to have your emotions intact, and you know, for the scene. And that's that's the technical part of it. That's not easy, no matter what. But the processorial part of of your life experience that you infuse into the script uh, uh, when studying it, um, yeah, that's easier if you've done it before, for sure, you
0: know. Now, because this show is popular, and we always, we always recognize people, and as I said, I remember seeing you, and I still remember, and it's funny because you remember certain people and certain actors, and I forget later you were on a show, my mom always liked your character, but I still remember seeing you from, I believe it was uh, Tales from the Crypt, where you hooked up with that woman with no face. Uh, Yes. I, I still remember seeing you on that, and I was like, this guy's a good actor, and you, you were cool, you know. You played a sort of a swarmy ladies man jerk, but yeah, you pulled it yes. off good, and then at the end, you know, you get yours. Yes. But now, yes. you've been, and I remember you from that, so when you see someone early in a role like that, you remember them, and you go, okay, hey, and you see along the way, and I watch TV, and I follow it. Now, yes. are you getting a new group of people who recognize you because the show is so popular, people love it, it's it's the buzz, I mean, you think about it, you know, the only time I see, as we said about on Facebook, with the spoilers, the only time was The right. Walking Dead, and like Game of Thrones, which are completely yeah. different than This Is Us, and This Is Us is yeah. a network TV show, so more people are seeing it, Yeah. do you have like, are people recognizing you and coming up and saying, hey, such and such, or is it something that hasn't happened yet, or is it starting?
1: No, it, it has happened. No, it has happened, especially, like I said, especially rush, rushing through the airport this time to get home for this other show. I, you know, it, it was... I had I had sh- my own shows on the air for four years in a row between Cop Rock and Civil Wars, and then I had a, a sitcom, Joe's Life. I did one four-episode arc of NYPD, and everybody started calling me Joey Salvo. I mean, so you know when you're on a hit TV show, people recognize you, and they, you know... uh and, you know, and I've always I've done enough work where people will look at me in an airport or someplace and go, hey, you're, uh, you're, and I go, uh, I go, yeah. And then sometimes I'll give them my whole resume and they go, oh, no, no, we go to the same gym. I mean, like, oh, shit, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but yes, with only two episodes of This Is Us and such an important character, even though it's, it's just a small amount of work, the character is very important to the lead guy. And, uh, yeah, people know, and, uh, and then, you know, this oh, man, you know, you're, you're, you're not a nice guy. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm
0: acting, you know. Now, now, what do you, do you, have done, you said Joe's life was a sitcom, and you've done Big Bang, and you've done other shows, Guest Bar, Two Broke yeah. Girls. Do you, do you enjoy when you get to do the comedy, because you did start doing comedy, as I said, you know, and that was your thing. Yeah. Do you enjoy when you do yeah. comedy, or do you sit there, and do you sometimes say, I want more comedy because, you sort of, you play a serious guy more often, but do you ever sit there and go, you know, I would like to get another sitcom?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I love comedy. Although, and everybody says, everybody who's been in in my business says, you know, sitcom is so easy and drama is so hard. And it's really not. Um, And especially, especially if you're the lead in, in the sitcom, because you don't end up getting the laughs. You lay track for everybody else to get the laughs. And you're there... Every day, you know, on a drama, you might out of an eight-day shoot, you might have at the most, you know, at the very most five day, days, you know, uh, and, and sometimes less. But a sitcom, you're there every day rehearsing. And then the worst thing about sitcom is you put the show up uh, on its seat for the network the day before you're going to shoot in front of an audience, and that night you get a bunch of changes stuff gets dropped and everything else you've got this whole show memorized and you've got to go back the next day front of an audience with new stuff you know so comedy is a hard thing to do of course I'd rather make people laugh than scare them you know I mean when I was doing improvisational comedy I, I loved that you know and I created a character with a partner of mine a guy by the name of Gary Richmond. We, we did a little bit of the stand-up clubs in New York with this character it was a Hasidic Siamese twin that played the guitar. And uh, it was called the Kippermans, Saul and Herschel Kipperman. And that was a blast, man, you know. Uh, we were bound from the waist up. He played the guitar, so he did the strumming on the left, and I—I I mean, he did the chords on the left, and I did the strumming on the right. We each had uh, yarmulkes and one payas on the outside of our, of our head.
0: Now, how do you think your roles... Have changed through the years. Now, you're a guy who's in good shape. You go to the gym a lot. I mean, how often do you go to the gym? I'm there at least five days a week. Okay, so you've, you've kept in good shape. So you're one of those guys that probably does get called for younger roles because, you know, you're in good shape. But how do you think your roles have changed over your career? And do you think sometimes that you then you think you're going to start playing a role like this and you get pulled back onto another role, not pulled back, but cast in something that is, let's say a mobster or a lawyer. I mean, how do you think your roles have changed? Or have you been pretty much on par the same throughout your career?
1: Well, you know what? They, they haven't changed so much in that, uh, you know, people look at me and they think cop, lawyer, CEO, <laughs> you know, or, 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 and sometimes mob guy, you know, uh, uh because, um, I, my, my energy is a little bit more, I, I, I don't know if it's from my education or being in the business world, but my energy is not as, I don't want to say my energy, my presentation is not as street as my energy is. I mean, you know, Botchko wrote about me in his book, and he said, you know, uh, he said that, you know, my pairing with Mario Hemingway, who was, you know, classic American beauty, looked a little odd because I'm just this Italian street guy, you know, and, uh so, so the roles have you know they they all in the same uh, you know it's like seeing the same people in an audition you know we all go up for the same thing but it is it is that it is that it's bracketed by like I said from from mobster to lawyer you know uh, and, and everything in between um, the only thing that's changed is is what you alluded to is is the age range, and I, and I do, like, I mean, like, last year, I got cast in something that was on the breakdowns, uh, mid-40s, and, you know, I'm a lot open in that, and, uh, but sometimes they don't really mean that, and they don't know what they're looking for, you know, if they find the right actor, it really doesn't matter what age he is, you know, so, in that way, things have changed, you know, now, now I'm, I just went in for a role yesterday in, uh, uh and I'm, uh, as another father in, um, you know, the Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, Amazon series it's called Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Have you heard of this thing? I've
0: heard of it. I haven't seen it, though.
1: It's pretty funny. And uh, But I went in to play the lead woman's father again. So here I am playing Milo Ventimiglia's father. And I went yesterday to play another father. And that's fine. You know, uh, whatever it takes. I, you know, I, I've i never held on to <laughs> to my look as a way uh, to cast myself I, I just my my manager had a major birthday party i won't tell you what her age was uh, a couple of weeks ago and i did a I, I did a little toast and one of the things i said in the toast is one of the things she said to me when i first met her in new york and i've always considered myself to be this and i'm going to use it if i ever write my autobiography it's going to be the subtitle but i walked in her office one day and she looked at me, she goes, oh, there's this great role for you in this movie. He's Italian-American, he's corporate, and he's not drop-dead handsome. <laughs> I said, oh, thanks for helping me find my niche. You right. <laughs>
0: I'll tell you, though. I'll good, you ta- know? Go ahead. Yeah. Good, know that's all good. No, I'm going to tell you, you know what role I see you in? And I, I posted this one yeah. time on Facebook. I'm telling you, if they ever do a movie about Bruce Springsteen, you you're playing the Bruce Springsteen now. You might you might be a little your arm <laughs> yeah. I mean he you you might be a little bit too muscular cuz he's in good shape but he's he's a, a yeah, th- he's, very, he's yeah. a thin man. Yeah. But I'm telling you that's the role that they need to put you in cuz I know you're a Bruce fan. You're from New Jersey and you you guys yeah. you could know, pull that. I mean would you ever think of doing a role like if someone offered a role to you like that as Bruce Springsteen what would you say?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say yeah. I, I would say why? Why doesn't Bruce want to do it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, that's a, you know. Listen, when I got into the business, when I left McCall's magazine and I got into the got into this business, and I was going out for commercials. It was nineteen eighty six, and I, I I made a ton of money in commercials the first couple of years when I got Kate and Alley, and uh, and the reason <laughs> was hopefully because of talent on one hand, but I didn't have much training except for improv. But on the other hand, the stereotypes that they were casting for commercials in those days were Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Willis, Billy Joel, and Tony Danzig. Now, I cross over all of those guys, you know? And and so, yeah, get a chance to play somebody like Bruce, that would be fantastic, you know? Now, I would have to ju- ju- just jump my jaw out a little bit and change
0: my nose. exactly. Now, now you said you had an audition for the show yesterday. Are you So you're allowed to go out and audition even though you are signed in with a pilot? How does that work?
1: Well, well, if the pilot doesn't go, then, then all bets are off. But if the pilot goes, you know, until it goes, yeah, I can audition for anything as long as they know I am a pilot. You know, if, if the show goes, then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm restricted, you know, but uh, at this point, it's just a pilot, it's not, it doesn't have an order, so I can, you know, go out and,
0: and do anything. Now, you shot in elementary a while ago, now that shoots in New York, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, what's it like going back and shooting in New York, you know, because you're an L.A. guy now, but you, got, you go back to New Jersey a lot, but what's it like to go back and actually shoot something in New York, is it a great feeling, does it remind uh-huh. you of when you started out?
1: Yeah, I love it. I, I love it. If I could, uh, you know, I'd spend more time in in New York. I would love it, and I miss it. Um, and yeah, I mean, elementary was just a one-day thing, and the only reason I did it was because it gave me, I actually had to fly myself back to do that. Now they have this thing called local hires. But it was an offer, and usually when you get an offer, you take it. But if the offer's not enough money, then I'm gonna end up paying them if I have to buy my own flight and everything. Then, you know, you say no, but this gave me an opportunity to go back again to help out with my father's care, and not go in the hole, you know, uh, paying for my ticket and making some money. So, I, but being in, in New York, man, I, I like. It. I was just there for the big ass blizzard, and everybody was blaming me coming from L.A. You know, this is, you, you brought this. Right. Yeah, I know. Because I love it. I love it, man. I was out in that snow, just like a little kid. I, I miss it. I'm and who, here's the thing about New York, New York, and and the winter, which people really, most people don't like. In LA, it's always the same. I mean, it never gets below 60 degrees during the day, you know? In New York, in the winters, when you have a blizzard like that or something, no matter what kind of personality you are, type A, type X, whatever the hell you want to call it, you have to slow down because the rest of the world has slowed. Here, you never get that. Everything goes along at the same pace, and becomes a little less truthful because it's always the same pace. Nobody has has to slow down and do a little reality check on who they are and where they're going and what their you know what their goals are. You know, but that that's what I love about the East Coast. You know, you, you know, uh, I, I love all the seasons. Mm-hmm. I love the snow. I love the cold. I love slowing down uh, because otherwise I
0: won't. <laughs> right. Know? Well, I'm moving back at the end of April, so I'll be uh, getting those seasons. Oh, oh you yeah. are? Yeah, oh, wow. So. Uh, you know, time for a change. Where are you going, Jersey? Oh, yeah, Marlton, New Jersey, South Jersey, back where, where I grew up. Oh. So It'll be interesting. Great. But I'll still be doing Cooper Talk. But anyway, man, I'm glad I hit you up. I'm glad we got to talk. I mean, you have a lot going on. You're constantly working. People, go to IMDB. Just look. Look. I mean, he's got 119 credits, and they're real credits. You know, a lot of times you see people have these and go, credits.
1: And, and go to my website. You can go to my website if you want give him. Give them sp-
0: sp- the spelling of your name and give the website address. All
1: right. It's peteronorati.com. Peteronorati. Okay, That's well, pe- peteronorati.com, and there's for some videos. There's there's actually some old uh, songs from Cop Rock on that on that site.
0: Well, there we go. So, people, please check them out. Go to the website peteronorati.com. Go to my website coopertalk.net. I have um, I think I'm about to hit my six hundredth episode. Go check it out. You can email me cooper at coopertalk.net. Uh, if, you have ho- if you have questions, I will coach you how to do an interview, how to book guests, stuff like that. Also, I have started a side PR company. If you, uh, I have a comic and a, a great drummer as clients. And if you need PR done, hit me at Cooper at coopertalk.net. Twitter, it's at coopertalk. I tweet a lot. I have fun. I do some jokes. If you want to play me with words for friends, coopertalk1. Instagram's coopertalk1. And don't forget my other site that's close to my heart, literally, uh, stopthesalt.com. It was almost five years ago, I was in the hospital with congestive heart failure, and for five days I was in there. And when I got out, I had to change my life. I quit smoking, haven't had a cigarette since then. Gave up caffeine pretty much, except when I have a tiramisu. But I wrote a cookbook, it's 120 easy recipes. They're they're very basic. There's no pictures in this book to intimidate you, because people get intimidated by pictures. There's no long list of ingredients. You know, you sit there, you know, I cook with cumin now, but if you're a new cook, you know, you don't have a lot of spices. There's a lot of olive oil, different spices. They're easy recipes. So go to StopTheSalt.com, and you can get that, or you can get it at Amazon. But if you go to StopTheSalt.com, I make more money, and uh, I'll sign it for you. So, people, go to PeterOnorati.com. Go to IMDb. Check out some of his past work. When you watch Goodfellas, he's getting his ass kicked, and he's hung over the, uh, the, I believe it's the alligators. That's him. So, people, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.